Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're looking at that text that I've read to you about Jesus coming to his disciples uh, on the storm, walking, and he says to Peter, come, come. And Peter comes as he looks at Jesus and then he takes his eyes off him and he sinks. And he cries out, save me. And Jesus uh, reprimands him and probably the others too for their lack of faith. And then he gets in the boat and the storm stops and they worship him, saying, truly you are the son of God. So thank you, Jesus Christ, son of God, that you come to us and rescue us. Come to us again today. Bless this message, Lord, so that it speaks to the people who are here. And as the children heard well uh, for the reading, so help us all to hear you speaking to us uh, through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have two books with the name Barbarian in the title. And I'll guarantee none of you others do. The one is the one I read from before, the barbarians are here. And by the way, a barbarian is, is not what I used to think a barbarian is, as some uncouth sort of a person, you know. But a barbarian is somebody basically who has a totally different set of values and beliefs and, and uh, normally comes in to try to implant them on everybody else. Uh, like the the barbarian, the people who invaded Rome in the fifth century or whenever it was, um, were called the barbarians, and and that's because they brought a totally different culture and tried to overturn and eventually succeeded in overturning the Roman culture. So the barbarians here is is a book that talks about the threats we face as a society today, with people coming from all over the place with all their different beliefs and values and, and, and with their one goal especially to destroy the Christian faith. They see the Christian faith as the great enemy that needs to be destroyed. And that book is available. In fact, I saw one in an op shop and didn't put it, put it, pick it up straight away and now the op shop is closed so I can't even get it to have one to give you. So that's one book. The other book is this called The Barbarian Way, which is really telling the opposite story because it's saying when Christ sent his disciples out and sends his church out, he's sending all of us out to live a totally different lifestyle in the world uh, so that the world is totally transformed by the gospel of Jesus' love and grace towards people to establish a new kingdom made up of people who believe in Jesus but not by force, but by love and grace. So that's those two books for your interest. Jesus called people to be disciples and uh, to go to the ends of the world to bring the gospel of his kingdom, which would totally transform the world to be a place of love and grace and of hope. But our danger is that we have built churches to hide in from the world. Instead of becoming a life-changing force in the world, we have become conformed to the world. Instead of boldly confessing our faith, 
before the world in our words and in our deeds and the way we live. Uh, We have confined our faith uh, to confessing our sins in church and our faith in the church, in the church building where no one else in the world hears it. Our gospel today shows another way as Jesus teaches his disciples what I would call, what I've named as my theme, some hard lessons in discipleship. So the first one is this, hard lessons in prayer. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him and he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Did you notice one of the children picked that up? By himself. Was he by himself? Yes, he was by himself, all right. And he was praying like many times it says he went off by himself and prayed through the night. Jesus is our teacher in prayer. We have so much to learn in prayer. I have to confess I am not the greatest person at praying. Publicly I can do it all right, but to discipline myself to give lots of time to prayer doesn't come easy for me. And I think that it's probably the same for many of you. Our congregation, in my estimation, is not good at praying. And if you know better than me on this, that's fine. I'd like to know that it is better than I think it is. The Lutheran Church, I'm talking about the LCA here, is not good at praying in what I have observed over the years. And no wonder we're in decline because prayer is always at the centre of any revival in the church. Joy has just read a, a reading an amazing book written by somebody who was a Lutheran at Lobethal in years gone past, Kurt Malberg, and some of you might know Kurt. Kurt, you might have even gone to school with him over there. Kurt Malberg has written this amazing book of revival uh, throughout the world since the time of Jesus right till Australia. That's the title, I think, Revival from Jesus' Time to Australia or something. Amazing book, she says. So, but always prayer is at the centre of everything. Prayer and the word of God. Prayer and the word of God. We need Jesus to teach us to pray. And the disciples asked Jesus to do that, to teach us to pray. And he taught them. He taught them by his example, but he taught them by, for example, giving them the Lord's Prayer. That's, that's what he gave them when they asked him to teach them to pray. And he gave them the high priestly prayer, as we call it, John 17. Jesus prays for his disciples. They're on their own, battling against the storms, but Jesus is with them in prayer. We sometimes say that, I'll be with you in prayer. I hope we do it. I'll be with you in prayer. Jesus sent the disciples, it says, to go ahead of him. I'm picking up that word go there because um, in not too many much time, Jesus will be training, he's training his disciples for the time he says, go, go, go out, by, so-called by yourselves, to make disciples of all nations. But then he says, but I'll be with you. I'll be with you. You won't be alone. I'll be with you. I'll be with you always. It, we're told elsewhere that Jesus is our high priest who always lives to intercede for us, always. 
It is not easy to be a disciple of Jesus. We might think it is, but that's a sign that probably we're not following him wholeheartedly. It's not easy to be a disciple. You might feel all alone when storms come and you feel that your loved one might die and some people in our church have got that feeling at present, their loved one, whoever that happens to be, might die, might die. They're in hospital and they're in serious in a serious place, a number of people from our church. And we need to know, where do we go then with our faith? We can't even pray sometimes. Things get so bad, we can't pray. What, What does Jesus tell us about, the Bible tell us? Then the Spirit himself intercedes for us. When we can't pray anymore, the Spirit really kicks in and prays for us and takes the thoughts that we have in our hearts, the worries, and gives them to God in prayer. And it tells us in another place that Jesus is always interceding for us, always. Those passages are in Romans 8.27 and in Hebrews 7.25, if you if you haven't got a copy of the sermon, which I hope you don't have, I hope you take it later if you get around to it. So disciples often pray out of desperation. When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. As he's going down, he's praying. Just like poor old Jonah, you know. He did a mighty prayer from the belly of the whale. He hadn't done too well before or after that, but in the belly of the whale, he did really well in his prayer life. Just grew his prayer life in an amazing way. There's a saying that there are no atheists in the trenches. By the way, have any of you been to war? Has anyone been to war? Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it, that you weren't having to go. But there's that saying, and you've heard it, there are no atheists in the trenches. That may or not be true, but it is true that desperation often drives us to prayer. Peter prays a very short prayer. Lord, save me. That's enough. That's enough. Lord, have mercy. That's one of our other really short prayers, but that's enough. Jesus hears and he answers and he saves. In our hour of desperation, Jesus teaches us to pray. Deliver us from evil. Lord, have mercy. Lord, save us. So a lot of our hard lessons are learnt in suffering. One thing disciples can be certain of, there will be suffering. If, they, if we seriously follow Jesus, there will be suffering for it. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. All the apostles suffered for their faith. That did not surprise them. Well, that does surprise some Christians today if they have to suffer. And I don't know why, because the Bible was full of telling us you'll have to suffer. They were called to follow Jesus, the disciples, and they knew that he was a suffering saviour. He was rejected. He was persecuted. he He was tortured. And he gave his life for them on the cross. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified because, uh, and they cried out in fear because they thought he was a ghost. Following Jesus is risky business. In many Muslim countries today, uh, Christians risk their lives just for following Jesus, just for going to worship. And they have to worship secretly. This has happened under communism and now under, under, under in Muslim-dominated countries. Following Jesus is risky, Christ, but, but in Australia, Christians who faithfully and boldly follow Jesus don't risk their lives normally, but they could risk their reputations. They could risk their jobs, their occupations, very easily. Out of fear, we may be afraid to declare that Jesus is our saviour in front of people, our only saviour from sin. The only way we can be saved is there's one way and that's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way that anybody can be saved. You know, we might sit next to somebody at a wedding, someone we don't know, especially if we're a pastor and they're trying to think, how do I talk to a pastor? And they they say, you know, I once knew a minister who lived down our road or maybe I saw her on TV. I can't remember now where it was, but um, or maybe it was Grant Chester. Who knows? But, and I like watching Grant Chester, but, but be that as it may. The, um, and, and in the end they say, but all the religions are about the same, aren't they? That's where it comes down to usually, it doesn't it? Have, you've heard that, haven't you? All, they're all the same. And I, and I want to, now what do I say? Do I say, no, they're total opposites. They're total opposites of one another. Christianity is totally opposite from any other religion because it's about Jesus who comes down from heaven to us to rescue us and gives his life for us and does everything for us by grace through faith and so on. Every other religion is about how you try to crawl up to whatever your God is. That's totally the opposite, isn't it? Totally the opposite. But how do I say that? sitting next to some sceptic at a wedding without offending them too much. They're the question, they're the things we face in life. We could just shut up and say nothing or nod our heads in agreement or mumble something they can't understand. Are we afraid to step out of the boat, the church? And by the way, in Danish churches, there's always a boat in the church as a symbol of the church. Are we afraid to confess Christ before our families even or our neighbours or the world? In my first parishes, I did a lot of door knocking. You know what we mean by door knocking, those dreaded door knockers? Well, how are you going to meet people if you sit at home and you study? So I went door knocking and some days... It was good and some days it wasn't so good. I met the strangest people I've ever seen in the world because I was living in an area, in in a city type area where uh, there were high rise units and I I didn't know that some of those people ever existed. Now they're commonplace nearly. But be that as it may, to go out and do this day after day or one day a week or whatever took courage, you see. And sometimes I'm sure God had to push me out the door 
to get me to do it because it's much easier to sit in the study, much easier to spend more time re- looking at Greek and trying to work out what to say in a sermon to people who've already know it rather than to go out to speak to those who don't, have never heard it, never had a chance to hear the good news of Jesus. God is good. So let's look at the hard lessons in faith. Faith is not easy. We confess the faith and that seems easy enough. We're going to confess our faith soon and I don't think anyone will be there with guns to knock us over or anything. We confess we believe in the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, what he's done for us. He's done it all and we confess we're saved by grace through faith and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. He's done it all, that's so good, Uh, that's wonderful and it can be cheap grace too that we don't highly value. But if you were once an unbeliever and I suspect some of you were once upon a time unbelievers, you've not found it so easy. You may have wrestled with God for years before you were able to confess, I believe in God. Or you might have believed in God for years, and that that could apply to quite a few of us, and yet you join the man with the troubled son in praying to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. But faith is much more than believing things about God. Jesus calls us to put our faith into action, to trust him as we step out to act on his behalf, to live a faithful, godly lifestyle. A man fell over a cliff and on the way down he managed to catch hold of a tree branch. He yelled out for help, is there anyone up there? After much calling out he heard the Lord answer his call and say, I'm here, jump and I'll catch you. And the man looked down to the hundreds of feet below him and all the rocks uh, looking up at him, waiting to catch him. And he yelled out again, is there anyone else up there? You see, sometimes we're not sure if God is up to the job of what we're praying for. So people go elsewhere. The disciples are out in the boat alone and a dreadful storm comes up and then Jesus comes walking to them on the water and they're dreadfully afraid because they think he's a ghost. And Jesus immediately, notice the word immediately, which is three times in this text, says to them, take courage, it is I. And by the way, it is I, I didn't even look this up, but I'm sure it's uh, I'm God. That's what it means, I'm God. Tell me to come, if it's you, come to, tell me to come to you on the water, Peter says. And Jesus replies, and that was a really, I would think, a fairly silly statement because uh, um, uh, it caught him out very quickly, but he learned a big lesson. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus replies with a one-word invitation to put his faith into action then, Peter. Come, come. One word. And Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus until, until what? He took his eyes off Jesus and focused on the storm. And isn't that just our problem? We take our eyes off Jesus and focus on the troubles around us. 
Then he moved from faith to fear. Yet out of his fear, he called to Jesus, Lord, save me. And in this fear, he looked back to Jesus in faith and immediately Jesus reached out to him and took him by the hand and caught him and picked him up. What a hard lesson in faith. In our fears, Jesus grows our faith. But the lesson isn't over yet. Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I am the one who is of... I am one who is afraid of storms at sea and having crossed to Kangaroo Island uh, 50 to 60 times. I know a little bit about storms and probably you do too if you've crossed there. And uh, I don't go in little boats very much because I know how afraid I am of them. Uh, The sea has to be pretty calm for me to go out in a little boat. And Peter did all right until he took his eyes off Jesus. Faith is learned in the storms of life not in church saying the creed, not in confirmation or in seminary doing lessons about faith. They're important, but in the end we learn faith in the hard knocks of life, stepping out of the boat, out of the church, to have our faith tested in the struggles of living for Jesus and confessing our faith in Jesus in a world and a mission field that does not love Jesus. So this all leads to worship. This is how we learn worship. When Jesus and Peter climbed into the boat, the wind died down and they worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Here is a picture of true worship, vibrant worship meaningful worship, not easy-peasy going to church occasionally when you have a day off. Here is worship that grows out of the struggles of life where faith has to be severely tested and Jesus has shown himself to be truly faithful. True worship drives us to our knees before Jesus when we have fought the battles with Satan during the week, the battles of daily living, and God has delivered us from evil. True worship draws us to praise God, to adore Jesus, to fall on our knees to adore him, for giving us the courage to witness in our workplace or to say no to the temptations that we face to cheat or to gossip. And I'm sure this doesn't apply to anybody here today, but to follow the boozing crowd. To follow the boozing crowd, which usually means the wife-bashing crowd as well. How sad. The persecuted church of the book of Revelation teaches us how to worship the Son of God, the Son of God who gave his life as a sacrifice for those suffering people to save them from their sins. It is in suffering that Jesus teaches us to pray and to believe and to worship. Three times in our text, Jesus acts immediately, immediately. Jesus is always there. He's always coming to us. He's always inviting us to come to him. In fact, the last words of the Bible are just about that. 
come Lord Jesus. Yes, I'm coming soon. The last words of the Bible. He comes to you today and he invites, come and learn to pray and to believe and to worship. Come, come, amen. And the peace of God which passes all our understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.